I love that uh, section of the song that says, if I'm not dead, you're not done. Um, that's, I mean, you woke up this morning. Uh, so he's not done. You've got something to do. I don't know what it is. He knows what it is for the two of you to work out. Um, but that's, I tell you, some mornings, that's all that gets me going is, Jesus, you woke me up this morning, so there's something you need me to do today. Um, and so that encourages me. I love that song. Brad, you, you guys kill it every time. <laughs> so as you can see, Brad's hanging out with me a little bit this morning. I need some eye candy. Uh, <laughs> What can I say? Uh, Okay, so this morning we're going to talk about shift for a moment, and then I'm going to share my testimony. Um, But before we jump into the shift, I want to just share, like, what what is shift and and why is shift? Um, And so there's uh, four verses I want to share from Genesis first, and it's about Elroy. And the first is Genesis 16, 13. And says, so she, Hagar, named the Lord who spoke to her, you are El Roy. For she said, in this place, I have actually seen the one who sees me. Genesis 21, 19, again, talking about Hagar, it says, then God opened her eyes and she saw a well. So she went and filled the water skins and gave the boy a drink. Genesis 28, verses 12 and 16 says, then he, Jacob, dreamed. A stairway was on the ground with its top reaching to the sky and God's angels were going up and down. And when Jacob awoke from his sleep, he said, surely the Lord is in this place, and I did not know it. Shift, first and foremost, is an update with our thinking, our planning, our our understanding of who God is and who we are. When I was little, my grandfather, Bubby, would plant a tree uh, every time a grandchild was born. Uh, Every time a grandkid was born, he'd go out, buy a sapling, and he'd plant a tree. And his long driveway was just all these rows of trees. When my mom and my stepdad got married, my grandfather planted two additional trees for me and my brother. We were included in that promise that he had and in that idea that he had, that he was doing something for the future, is that the trees weren't for him. The trees weren't for his kids. The trees were for the grandkids. He understood that he was putting something in the ground that he wouldn't get to see the fullness of, that it was for generations to come. Shift is in part just that. Shift is us putting our feet down and putting something into the ground that's really going to be for the benefit of generations to come. Amarillo is expected to double in population by 2035, and I have no idea how realistic that is, but that's what they want. Um, and so what we're doing with shift is really looking towards the future. We're looking and seeing what God's doing now. I don't know if you've looked around this room, but we're, we're kind of out of space in, in the room, in the whole building, everywhere. Um, but we're also understanding that if, if Amarillo is going to continue to grow and we want to continue to reach Amarillo, that we've got to grow with it. Um, and it's not just about us growing. It's about what we're doing with that growth. There are some ministries that we support. Uh, Tapestry, which is an internal one, which I absolutely love. Um, just uh, uh, Judy and Michael got a vision of, of how to help, and they've been pouring into that, and it's beautiful to see. There's Amarillo Angels, which we're going to come back to in a moment, uh, which is a uh, foster care uh, support ministry, Lost But Not Forgotten, which is in Africa, and Compassion International. These are things that, as a church, whether you realize it or not, you're partnering with to serve, because it's not just about what we do here in this building. It's about how we use the, the gifts that come in, the building itself, to bless the community and to be a blessing to those around us. Um, so we got a quick video about Amarillo Angels.
Initially, I cannot grasp the concept that somebody will be there for you for free. It really happens that for me. It's like a big blessing. I was so hopeless because I don't have family. I don't have friends what signed up to be the babysitter of our kids. And suddenly, there are these people and strangers who are willing to help us. There are a lot of things that our love box really has done for us. The listening ears and the time that they spend with you. It's like you have a friend. They are consistent. They are committed. When you have the love box full, there are people in the center of attention. Everybody's busy, but there's somebody who's giving you their free time just to be with you and listen to you. I don't know how we're going to go through foster care without our love box I want you. <laughs> Used to the one that I think Gwen did actually. Um, so that's part of what what we're doing as a body is is helping people and coming alongside people who are doing this. My family's fostered in the past, and, and God willing, we'll do it again in the future. And it is one of the hardest, best things you can ever do. And, and not everybody can be be a foster parent, but everybody can do something. That's the thing is, if we as the church understood that everybody can do something, then everything would get done. So uh, I, we, uh, Team Julie and I met. That's uh, Julie Meyer and my wife. It's easier to say Team Julie. Um, met with Gwen. It's so much easier. Uh, we, we met with Gwen and Vanessa from uh, Amarillo Angels 
the other day and tried to like brainstorm what are some ways that we can help? What are some tangible things that we can do? And it, you, it, it's, it's the simple things sometimes. So like uh, the, the Amarillo Angels is hosting an event where they're going to go out and do like uh, pumpkins something. I don't know. They do pumpkins. There's a pumpkin patch, Max's. There we go. See, you guys are brilliant. Uh, they're going to do something. But so we're going to host the dinner for them before they go. And that way we can be introduced to some of the families, and that way we can start regularly hosting like a, like a parents' night out where, where these parents can uh, foster and adopt, and whatever parents can come and uh, kinship can drop the kids off so that we can play with them for a while and have some fun so that those parents can go grocery shop or take a nap or whatever it might be, just a way for us to tangibly love these families. And that's one of the things that we do with a building. Um, my wife and I were talking about it. We're going to do uh, a love box. Um, now, if anybody wants to come alongside of us and, and, and partner with us as we partner with others, please let one of us know because we'd love to, to have a community to come alongside people. But these are the types of things that we're doing. That's what Shift is about. It, it's not just about building a building. It's about building a building so that that building can be a vessel to bless our community and, and enrich the lives of the people around us. One of the things that makes me sad is that so many churches sit empty, empty all week long. Like there's so much that can be done with that. Uh, soon, or as it started yet, the Boy Scouts are going to start meeting here again. Like all these different things, ways that we can bless the community. If somebody wants to do uh, uh, celebrate recovery, talk to me about that. Like another way that we can use this space to bless people because that's what it's about. The gospel is not only about the salvation of our souls, but the coming and present kingdom of God on earth. And that's what we're after is how do we further his kingdom? So when we talk about shift, when we talk about these things, the question we're asking is, God, what are you doing? And what do you want me to do? So we're going to jump into some details now. Um, so, Brad, how much is this building going to cost us? A lot. <laughs> yeah. Anywhere, I would say anywhere between three to five million dollars. Yeah. And that's just the reality of the situation. So if anybody's got a check that will clear, because I can write the check, Brad can write the check, but we have discussed this and it won't clear. Um, that's what we're shooting for. Then the, so, and then the question is, is how much do we have? And I think it's around yeah, right six hundred thousand. Yeah, pretty much what I just said. Yeah, and that's coming so far, and we've got it like tied up, and we're investing it in some like money markets, and I don't know how that that magic happens. Uh, then the question of how much do we need to start, right? This is always a big question because, uh, you know, it's funny. We had staff meeting a couple weeks ago, and Brad was talking about counting the cost before you do something. And so that's what you do with the building projects is how much is it going to take for us to get started? And that really depends because these numbers just don't lie to you. If we had to take out a $3 million loan, it would cost about $15,000 a month in a mortgage. I don't want a $15,000 a month mortgage. I don't think any of us do. Two million would be $10,000, and these are rough estimates because I'm not a mathematician, uh, and a million dollars would be about a $5,000 loan. So it depends on how much we take as, as we want to take, depends on when we can get started. But I don't want us to be so strapped for cash because we jumped into something. That's not a wise decision. That's not counting the cost to, to say, okay, well, we've got a million, so let's pay $15,000 a month. That's ridiculous. My house wouldn't work. Like, I don't think your house should work. I don't think any of ours should work. So I don't want to do that one. Um, what is our current mortgage, and how much do we have left on it? Do we know? So the current we have right now, which includes um, all the due diligence and everything, we could be over a million fifteen or over two million. Um, and then some of the leftover mortgage that we will be paid out, we'll be paid back in 
we're doing a sound clip from today. That's yeah. that's, that's, the, one that's the one. Do. Yeah, These mom, was that right? They don't know <laughs> yes. We gotta ask our mom. <laughs> hey, it is what it is. Um, yeah, so you know that's that's the thing. That's where we're at. What we'd like to do is when we start raising funds, is be able to roll that into it. But we only have one more to raise. Um, and then there's a few ways that we can give. Uh, I'm not afraid to talk about giving. There's uh, online, and we've got a quick video, because here's the thing, not everybody knows how to do this. I can't tell you how many times somebody asked me, is how do I give online? How do I give on the app? How do I give with whatever? So we've got how you give online. Um, what is that oh, next video? Yeah, that actually back to the screen. Yeah, I'm sorry. Screen recording. This is my phone. Um, so this is actually the app. I apologize. But so you put in an amount. This is if you're using the Church Center app. Just put in an amount. Put in your banking information, where you know what you're designating that to go towards, and then you choose like how often you want it to go. You hit next, and then you've given to that particular uh, item or campaign line. Uh, because we do itemize everything when it comes into giving. Like if somebody's like, I've got, I don't know, whatever, $50, and I want to give to shift, and then when you give that, that goes to shift. That's what that money's used for. We've got money still in the love box, um, which, by the way, Gwen from Lovebox is here. Um, she's going to be out in the lobby. She's at this table right there. I highly recommend you stop by and see her if you haven't. Uh, wonderful woman. Um, but whatever you give to, that's what that money goes towards. Um, and then we've got how to give online, which I think should be the next one. It's very similar. Um, so you go to JChurch, give online. This one's really easy. You don't have to create an account. By the way, if you give using your checking account, it costs us less money to print it. And actually, something new that I'm going to discover this week that I put on there, um, you can actually cover the fees. So if you give oh, online, I didn't know that. Um, there is now a check fee for Great Rock Ministry. It gives you the opportunity to cover the fees, but the church doesn't have to pay those fees. Oh, that's nice. I, I like that. Um, yeah, so you can give online. It's super simple that way, too. That's not my real credit card number. Don't worry. Okay, and then you can give through the app. I'm uh, sorry, then you can give text to give, which is something new Brad it's set up as well. New. You can, you can uh, first of all, you can, you can use that QR code on your camera right there, but if you text the money amount to 84321, uh, and then it, it includes a little bit more trivia to do it. The first time it takes a little bit longer because you have to, if you've never done this before, so you may not have the bank account or credit card information there, you have to do that. But when you do it, then you can just text the amount to that number again. And uh, yeah, so I, I highly recommend pray about it. See what God puts on your heart to do. Uh, ask people in the community. We're a nonprofit. If, if you know a business and they want to write a $4 million check, they can do that. We'll give them a tax deduction. I'll take anybody's money. I really don't care. God can use it all. <laughs> Somebody asked me one time, well, what if a drug dealer wanted to give you money? I said, God, sanctify it. I ain't, I ain't got a problem with that. Um, so that's it. So really, this is where we're going. We're, we're praying towards this. We've got expenses that we need to cover on a regular basis here, so we need to raise above and beyond that. My family's going to start praying about what is God calling us to do uh, to invest in shift and invest in the future of Journey Church in Amarillo, and I just encourage you to do the same. Um, so more to come as we move forward. Thank you so much, Brad. Yeah, Give him a round of applause. No. He's amazing. And really, Brad is absolutely amazing. He said, well, whatever you want me to do, I'll just stand there and you tell me when you want me to do something. And I said, good, because I don't really know what it is yet. Um, so we're going to move on, and I'm doing something different today. I'm sitting, obviously. Um, I'm going to share my testimony, and this isn't something I really like doing from the stage because I feel like I'm talking about myself a lot. 
And uh, the focus I want is to be on Jesus. I want to be on what he's done, what he's doing, and what the Holy Spirit has done in your life. Um, So let's pray. Lord Jesus, as I open my mouth to share, as I uh, think back on my life and the things that you've brought me through, help me to communicate the things that are important. Help me to communicate the things that you want shared. Most importantly, Jesus, help me to communicate things that highlight who you are. Lord, I thank you that I am able to give my testimony, that you have brought me through the things that you have, and I'm thankful that there are so many in this room who have a testimony uh, of how you've moved in their lives. Um, I just pray that you'd be with us to open our eyes to see you clearly. Above and beyond anything else, Jesus, that's what we want, is to see you rightly, to see you glorified. Amen. Um, I'm going to preface, one more preface with my testimony, and that's that my story is my story. Okay, I, it's different, it's a, it's a little peculiar, but it's my story, and the reason I say that is because I, my favorite testimonies, my absolute favorite testimonies are when I hear people say, yeah, I don't know, I mean, I was raised in a Christian home, I, my, my grandparents went to church, my parents went to church, I've always gone to church, and yeah, maybe I've made some mistakes, but I've always known who God is, I've always known who Jesus is, and, and that's, that's just been my life. That's my favorite testimony because that speaks to God's faithfulness and that speaks to parents' faithfulness and grandparents' faithfulness. That is my favorite testimony. And as a parent, that is how I've tried to raise my children. Whether I've done it or not, I don't know. We'll see. But that's my favorite testimony. So don't think because you hear my testimony that you have to have one like this. It's not. This is mine. Get your own. Okay, so uh, mom and dad, if you're watching, me later if you need to talk. <laughs> so uh, I was born to a teenage mother. Uh, my mom was 15 when she gave birth to me, and I was the first male grandson. Those two things are really important because uh, it caused a lot of conflict in my family. My real father took off, uh, joined the army, and moved to Germany, uh, where subsequently later on I found out that he married some other lady, had some kids with her, and then later on left them as well. Um, so that was just him. You know, I've come to terms with it, but for years growing up, that's something I struggled with. Was like, why was I not good enough for my dad to stick around? Like, what did I do before I was even born that he wouldn't want me? Uh, so I'm dealing with that. I'm dealing with the fact that my mom is really as old as as my sister. Like, so my mom, my mother, and I have always had a really interesting relationship, um, and she did the best she could. But let's be clear, I was a horrible child. Like, I really was a horrible child and an even worse teenager. Um, about, and again, so I'm trying to make this a PG-13 movie, um, at about 14 to 16, somewhere in there, uh, I started really struggling with depression, uh, really struggling with depression and suicidal thoughts. And so the way that I worked through that was a lot of drugs and a lot of self-harm. Um, I would, I would hurt myself often. I still have the scars from my teenage years when I would harm myself, um, and I did a lot of damage to myself. Um, I, was, I was angry, I was confused, I was just bitter, um, and I, I just felt like I couldn't do anything right, I felt like I was an idiot, uh, there was nothing positive about myself in my eyes. Um, I would, uh, you know, I had some friends and we would just start doing drugs in the morning and we'd go all day. 
um, when I think back on my adolescence and my teenage years, there's a lot I don't remember. Um, I don't know if it's things that have been blocked out or a mix of that and drugs. Um, but there was a lot of, a lot of drugs, a lot of depression, a lot of uh, just anger. Um, when I was 19, uh, no, what was it? When I was 20, um, I got married. Uh, and before I was 22, I was divorced um, because, well, we were both young and dumb, and I was just dumb because um, I just didn't care. I didn't care about anything. I didn't care about anyone. I was incredibly, uh, I wouldn't even say self-centered. I just didn't care about anything. And I was angry at everyone and everything because it felt like everything was out to get me. Um, I remember just after I got divorced or going through that process, and I know I've shared a little bit of this before, is just walking around, just drunk as a skunk one night and just yelling at houses, like how dare people be happy. I had nothing but, but pain and anger. Um, fast forward a little bit, I was just kind of, I, I wasn't homeless, but I didn't have a home. Just, you know, that weird line where your parents haven't actually kicked you out, but they don't want you there, and you know it's not good for your kids to be there. So I was staying with whoever would keep me. Uh, Julie and I were dating at the time, and um, I mean, I was a mess. I don't, I don't think she knew I was dating her. I don't know. Uh, yeah, Jesus. Uh, he knew what he was doing. <laughs> she didn't, I didn't, but Jesus knew, that's for sure. Um, and I was staying with some friends, um, and I was just kind of bouncing around to whoever would, you know, keep me, and I'd couch surf for, you know, a couple weeks at a time and go somewhere else. And um, I, I knew that Julie had grown up uh, with, with her dad as a pastor, and I didn't really know what that meant because I'd never been to church. But growing up, I, I have a vague memory of Grandma Farley maybe taking me to church one time when I was about yay big, and, but I don't remember um, and that's the only one possible memory I have. I, I knew there was a Catholic church, but that was it. And so I knew her dad was a pastor, didn't really know what that meant, had something to do with God, something to do with the Bible. And so I just started asking her ridiculous questions because what had happened was I tried to kill myself. Um, I took a handful of pills, I wrote a note, and I woke up in the hospital. Um, and it was one of the most eye-opening experiences of my life. And I'm gonna preface, uh, another preface that I should have put in the beginning, but I have not really, I've got my iPad here, which makes me feel good. I have not really prepared a lot of this. I've been praying all week, Jesus, what do you want me to share? What's important for people in this room to hear? So that's why if I jump around, that's partially the issue. Um, so I had uh, tried to kill myself. And, and since I was like 16, that's the one I kept in my back pocket, was that if things get hard enough, if things get difficult enough, if life starts to really be too much for me, that at least I got that. So when I failed at that, I felt like the biggest failure in the world. Like there's absolutely nothing I can do at this. There's zero I can get right. And it was hard. So I woke up in the hospital and they sent me to a crisis center and I was there for a little bit. And I remembered uh, two things that, that stuck out to me the most was one, I couldn't even make my own coffee. They had this weird rule where you're not allowed in the kitchen. I guess they don't anymore. But they had this rule where you're not allowed in the kitchen. I couldn't even make my own coffee. You have to ask for coffee. And two, there was a guy I met who checked himself in every year. He wasn't recovering from anything at this point. He, 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 well, he was an alcoholic, but he had been clean and sober for years. But about 10 years or so before that, he had been driving home drunk and hit a tree and his wife and his daughter died. And so every year on the anniversary of their death, he checked himself into the crisis center to make sure he wouldn't start drinking again because that was the hardest day of his life. And he would just tell me, like, man, it was just Jesus. Like, Jesus is the one who got me through. Like, and I'm like, I don't know who that is. Like, I have no idea. 
I, I couldn't tell you a single Bible story. If you would have told me the story of David and Goliath, I would have been like, That's, that sounds totally made up. I have no idea what you're talking about. I've never heard these names in my life. I mean, I'd heard the name Jesus, but not for the right reasons, right? So, like, he's telling me, there's Jesus, there's Jesus. So I get out, uh, fast forward a few months later, Julie and I have been dating, and so I just start, I'm, I'm, I'm in. I got nothing left. I'm starting to ask her questions, and she really didn't have any answers. One, my questions were ridiculous, but two, she didn't really have a faith of her own. So uh, I'm staying with some friends, and uh, I can still picture it to this day. They've got a kitchen with a sink that uh, has a window, and it overlooks, like, the backyard. It's kind of an overcast day, so you can see your reflection uh, in the window. And I see my reflection, and not, not putting myself down, not degrading myself, just an honest, uh, God blessed me amazingly in that moment with an honest evaluation of myself. And I said, Mike, you are such a loser. You break everything you touch. You hurt everyone you come in contact with. You don't care about anyone or anything else, and you're just angry all the time. You're a loser. So I said, Jesus, if you're real and you want me, you can have me because I'm dying. It was like that. No more suicidal thoughts. No more uh, desire to do drugs. I felt something change in me in an instant, and I had no understanding of what it was. I'm going to read a verse from Matthew. Because when we talk about mustard seed size faith, this is what we're talking about. Matthew chapter 8, verses 2 and 3. It says, right away, a man with leprosy came up and knelt before him, saying, Lord, if you are willing, you can make me clean. Reaching out his hand, Jesus touched him, saying, I am willing, be made clean. And immediately, he was, his leprosy was gone. That's who Jesus is. That's who I met that day in the kitchen. I didn't have any knowledge. I couldn't tell you about the doctrine of sanctification or justification. Soteriology was another made-up word. I mean, I couldn't tell you about any of these things. I couldn't tell you a single book in the Bible other than Genesis. I don't know why, but I knew that one. But I couldn't tell you anything. I knew nothing. All I knew was I was once blind. It's the man in John 9. I was once blind, and now I see. Julie picked me up that day. You know, we're going to go out and probably cause havoc because that's what we did. Um, and uh, I said, I just got to let you know, um, I gave my life to Jesus. And she goes, okay. <laughs> hey, wasn't quite the you know, homecoming song. <laughs> Good for you, dude. <laughs> that was the beginning of it, though. So, like, she didn't know what to do with that. Growing up, she had one very clear, clear rule. I will never marry a man in ministry. Congratulations. <laughs> it's been a wild journey. And here's the journey. Here's the thing, though. Here's what I want you to take from my testimony. Is Again, I had this much faith to be able to say, Jesus, if you're real and you want me, you can have me. And he said, that, that's enough for me. I'll take that. That's good enough for me. That's all I need from you. Because what Jesus says, I want the faith from the level that you're at at that moment. And that's all I had, and that's what he gives. I was once blind, and now I see. So from there, uh, we, we, we just, you know, I, I started reading the Bible. Well, I bought her a Bible. It was the wrong one, Catholic Bible. Again, didn't know there was a difference. Extra books. She's like, I don't know a lot, but I know this is wrong. So we traded that in and got a new one. Like, I'm like, I don't know. It says Holy Bible, right? What is there, like a kind of Holy Bible? Which one am I looking for here? So we get the right one, and I just start tearing into it. I can't get enough of this. 
Um, we're just, I still hadn't been to church, still didn't really understand what church was or anything. We're just reading the Bible. I'm tearing through this front to back. I'm like reading stuff and I'm seeing God all over the place. It's absolutely beautiful. Um, I start feeling like God's calling me to his service is all I knew at the time. Those are the words I kept hearing in my head. And I'm like, I don't know what that means. God, like, what am I supposed to do with that? So I didn't know. So we started going to church and I just start doing whatever God puts in front of me at that moment to do. Um, I remember at one point, uh, shortly after I got saved, we're sitting in a parking lot in Maine, and I look at the trees and I see the leaves. I'm like, that is beautiful. Like these leaves just swaying in the wind, taking in the sunlight, using what God gives them to produce something else. I just, I saw beauty that I had never seen before. 22 years old or so, and I had never even noticed that leaves had, had shape and dimension and this vibrant color, and just the beauty of a leaf on a tree. And I was like, Jesus, you're so good. Fast forward, I'm, you know, we're feeling like, I'm feeling like God's saying, I'm calling you to my service. And I got so many questions, I don't know what to do with them. Like, I'm reading the Bible, and I'm not understanding 90% of what I'm reading. Because this is all new to me. My dad had been a pastor. Long story short, he had been really hurt by the church, and he kind of walked away. He didn't give up on his faith, really, but him and his, him and, uh, his wife just didn't go to church anymore. None of the kids were going to church. And so I, um, I just tell him, I'm like, listen, I've got questions. You've got answers. You're helping me. This is it. And so we start a Bible study. We start a Bible study, and um, my sister-in-law and my brother-in-law come to faith. Um, Julie gets pregnant, um, has a horrible pregnancy, goes into preterm labor at like 22 weeks. This was like catalyst moments for our faith. Because I was like, Jesus, all I know is I was once blind and now I see. But I said, if you were willing, you, you can and you did. And so um, she's 22 weeks in labor. She gets sent to Boston uh, Women's Hospital because that's where we're living at the time. And they're, like, doing all this stuff. They're giving her shots, like steroid shots. They're like, this baby's coming. Like, she is in labor. And so uh, she's getting, like, they're doing all this stuff. And we're just waiting. They wanted us to tour the NICU unit. And I'm like, I, I can't do it. I'm working full-time overnight, uh, about an hour and a half away. I'd have to get off work in the morning, drive to Boston, sleep for just a little bit, spend time with Julie. We're reading. We're praying, right? I'm, I'm reading the word over my life. I'm trusting that God's going to do this. I'm seeing God heal the, and restore the relationship with me and my stepfather during this time. Uh, they come in. They do one of the ultrasounds at the end of the day, and they're like, you know, this is where she's at and all this. And I'm like, okay. And I'm looking at the ultrasound, and we had all sorts of names picked out for Gracie. And um, I just see, like, it looks like there's hands just holding my daughter, right? And I'm like, Jesus, if those hands would just close, then my baby would be okay. I come in the next morning to the ultrasound, and Julie's cervix is closed. It's God's grace. So she gets a name, which is why she's like, I don't really love my name, but uh, it's kind of a cool story. I'm going to go with it. Right, that was God. So we see that, and Julie starts to come to faith and really see that God cares for her, that her faith is what he's after. So shortly after, we move to Maine, and we're just, it's, it's just one thing after another where we see God doing these things and putting these things in front of us and, and missing the mark so many times in our walk of, of faith, but always saying, Jesus, whatever you want me to do, that's what I want to do. I don't care what it is. I don't care what it looks like. I don't care if it's the thing I wanted or the thing I like. But whatever you want to do, Jesus, that's what I want to be about. I mean, so we sang that song, and we're talking about, you know, I've seen this, and I've seen that, and I've seen this. I've seen so many miracles in my life. It makes me who I am, both the trauma and the struggles and the provisions that I've seen God provide. 
And we've been so poor at times. I think when Grace was newborn and the boys were little, I think $9,000 that first year, which, you know, if you're in high school, $9,000 might sound like a lot of money. For a family of four, five, it is not. Um, we were praying over a bowl of noodles that we had for dinner one night. And I was like, Jesus, just let us, let, this is what we got. We got done and we were all full, stuffed. Like, we've, uh, we've had times where, like, we, um, again, just kind of going off the cuff here. Um, when we were in Massachusetts, and I really felt like God started talking to us about Julie. Now, Julie grew up pretty poor. I grew up pretty poor. And when you're poor, you don't really teach your kids about finances. So we didn't have an understanding of what finances and how things work. So we get to church one Sunday, and they start talking about giving. And I'm like, this is what we need to do. I got $9,000. Uh, and I've never budgeted a day in my life. It comes in, you spend it. That's what, that's what we understood. And so pastor's talking about giving, and uh, I'm like, okay, I, let, let's do this. So we decide we're going to start giving. Can't give 10%, but we, what can we do? So we sit down, we try to figure it out, and we here's the thing. We needed to buy some bread for the kids. And so we were like, Jesus, we're just going to trust you. So we give the church, we give to God the bread money that we have. Okay, this is important. It's bread. We get to church that morning, we're like, okay, we're just going to do it. And so we do that, and Ken, oh, God bless Ken. I love him. Uh, fiery old man loved Jesus so much. It was right around that time that song, I Can Only Imagine, came out, and he would dance and sing in the front row. It was absolutely beautiful to watch. Um, so Ken comes up to us, and he goes, hey, I made a loaf of bread for you guys this morning. Gives us a fresh, load of, a fresh loaf of bread. It was warm and everything. And that was the moment I was like, Jesus, you, you, whatever you want. I'm, I'm trusting you. I've had times where we're driving down the road, and we're like, all right, we, get, we either need gas or we need groceries. Well, we need groceries, so we're just going to get in the car and drive to the grocery store. So we're driving to the grocery store and literally praying over the car. I can't tell you how many cars I've prayed over. I have laid hands on a Ford more times. <laughs> it's ridiculous. That's the reason I don't buy Fords anymore. A lot of praying over the Ford. Sorry, guys. Um, but driving down the road to the grocery store, watching the gas needle go up. I've had times when we knew God was calling us to move to Maine. I was like, okay, Jesus, I know this is what you're saying. I don't want to move to Maine. I've got nothing going on in Massachusetts, but whatever. I'm going to trust you. I get a job. Jo uh, God gives me the opportunity to drive up for an interview. I drive up there in my minivan with my busted door because the door wouldn't close all the way, so we had to, like, screw it closed. I climb in and out of the passenger seat. I had to ask the guys I had the interview with for gas money to get home. We got done with the interview, and I was like, they were like, well, you got the job. And I'm like, cool. Can I get a 20? <laughs> I got to drive back to Massachusetts. And I, I used up all the gas I had to get here. And so they gave me 20 bucks. Later on, they bought me a car. Like, it was just one thing after another. But we knew we were moving. We knew this is the date we were moving. We had no place to live, no prospects. I didn't have any money to, to get into a place. This was back when you had to do first, last, and security. So to move into a place cost you everything you could possibly have. My credit's horrible, so the utilities agencies are going to charge me an arm and a leg to get things turned on. Anyway, we knew we were moving. My plan was to drive my van and find a place to park it, and I'd work and then live in my van, maybe down by a river. And so what am I, my last name's Farley. What else am I going to do? <laughs> Living in a van down by the river. So that's my plan. Because Jesus, I know this is what you're saying, so I'm going to trust you. I'm going to go. I don't need all the details. I just need a direction. So he gives me the direction. 
two days before I'm about to go, my sister-in-law calls and says, hey, crazy thing, my renters in Portland, up in Maine as well, just moved out. They just up and left. So I've got a place if you guys want to live. You don't have to put anything down. You guys can just move here. And so we did. And it was not a good place. We got there. We were bald. It was, it was a disaster. But he provided a home. We had no food. Julie was working. Uh, I was working overnights. She was working the day, but we still couldn't make ends meet. Uh, we had zero food in the house. Her dad came to visit one time. She's stressing. She's like, I don't have anything to make for my dad. And I'm feeling embarrassed as a husband and a provider. And so her dad gets there, and she's like, Dad, I don't have anything to make for you. He's like, not a problem. Get in the truck. Grab Grace. We're going to go grocery shopping. So he took her grocery shopping. Since that day that he blessed us that way, we have never been without food in the house. Ever. Well, I've had times where I've not worked because I was doing construction, not worked for a month and a half. And we would come home, and there would be bags of groceries on the door for us. Times where we would come home at Christmas, just before Christmas, and we had already told the kids, listen, this Christmas, like, it's going to be real minimal. We're just going to focus on, on each other and how much God loves us and how much we love Jesus. And they're like, that's fine. It's not a big deal. None of that matters. And they were like, because the boys are from Julie's first marriage, they're like, whatever money you guys have, use it for grace, because I know Dad and Tyler are going to get us some stuff. Like, don't worry about it. And we came home from church one day. We hadn't told anybody how bad we were struggling. We come home, and there's bags. Like, I'm talking the contractor bags, the big black bags, full of presents for the kids. Jesus says, seek first the kingdom of God, and I'll add to it. That's what Jesus says. That's, what, that's how we've been living. So when people ask, like, well, why, so when somebody says, where are you from? And our family was like, how do we want to answer that question today? Hmm. Let's see. Let's have some fun with it. Um, because the, the truth is, everywhere that we've gone and everything that we've done has been in pursuit of trusting Jesus, following him, and doing whatever he does, puts in front of us to do. That's all we care about. Like, I don't care about anything else. I will look like a fool for Jesus. We're going to wrap up here. One of my favorite stories in the Bible is in the Old Testament with um, David. David's dancing around in his underwear. Not going to happen. It was a whole different underwear setup. It's not like, it's not like American stuff. Calm down, Chia. Dancing around, and he says, I will be even more undignified than this. He didn't care what anybody thought about him. He was the king, and he says, I don't care what anybody thinks about me. All I care about is worshiping Jesus. He didn't know it was Jesus, but worshiping God, praising God, going after God, and seeking the things of God. That is all he cared about. And I'm not saying I'm perfect at that, but I will tell you right now, here and now, as for me and my house, that's all we care about. Now, do we do it right at all times? Absolutely not. Otherwise, I wouldn't need a Savior. I am so thankful that Jesus is Savior because I need him to save me daily. I know my soul is secure. I have no question about that. But I make mistakes all the time. And all I can do is, is fall on my knees and say, Jesus, if it wasn't for you, I wouldn't I'd do no other. Like, that's all I'm capable of on my own. But I can look back at your faithfulness. I can look back at who you are. And I can say, it's okay. We make mistakes. We fall down. The thing about a testimony is to look back and say, okay, Jesus, I see, I see what you did here. Right? I see what you did right here, Jesus. And I didn't understand what you were doing. But then I remember that you did this, and, and then I saw you over here. And I saw what you were doing. And you were faithful. You didn't answer the way I wanted, 
but it was good. So I guess I can trust you over here. And we just keep doing that. And that's the thing that we do is we follow him in whatever he's doing because we look back on our testimony and say, Jesus, you're good. Like I said, when I first came to Christ, all I knew was the name Jesus. That was it. And he says, that's, that's, that's enough for me. Because his name, the name of Yeshua, is the name that we seek. The name of Jesus is the one that we're after. We're seeking to honor him and to glorify him and to see what he has for us. And that's all we need to care about. And I, I guarantee you, if you trust him with as much faith as you have at any given moment, he will come through. I guarantee it. The problem is, is you don't get to set the expectation of what coming through looks like. Because a lot of times he does it in ways where we're like, that's just crazy. I want you to, uh, here's what I want you to do, Michael. I want you to leave your business job, making good money, and I want you to move to Amarillo, Texas. And I say, Jesus, I want to go back to Texas, but where's Amarillo? <laughs> but then I get to meet you guys. And I get to hear stories about how Jesus is working in your life. And then, and then you use your testimony, and, and we use your testimony, and we use your testimony, and we, we use my testimony, and we put these things together, and we bring it out to the world around us, to the community that exists, and we say, listen, we don't have all the answers, but, but here's what we do know. We've seen Jesus do these things. And that's all I want for us. So, so when, when you start thinking about how can I tell someone else about Jesus, all you need to do is share your story. That's it. Because your story is, is what he's doing in your life. It's absolutely huge. So we're going to continue to worship. We're going to have a time of response. Um, and and we're, for response, I want you to just think about, Jesus, what do, you, what do I... Correction. The time of response, I want you to just think about Jesus. If it's just saying his name over and over again, then that's if it's just saying, Jesus, thank you, that's fine. If it's saying, Jesus, I don't know. Jesus, I don't know what I have the next day. I, I, don't, know, I don't know what I've got left. Just say that. Whatever it is, we're just going to take some time to respond to him. So um, let's pray. Lord, I... I thank you for your faithfulness. I thank you for your goodness. I thank you for your mercy and for your grace that you pour out on us. I thank you for your love. I thank you for you. I thank you for dying on a cross for my sins. I thank you for rising again three days later to prove that you have victory over everything. I'm thankful that you use the tiny bit of faith that I have for your glory and for your goodness, but you'll take just that much. I'm thankful for you, Lord. I pray that you awaken us and open our eyes to what you're doing, who you are, the reality of you, and that when we see you, we can see things right